Well, welcome to New Life. We're so glad that you're able to join us this week online. I'm Pastor Barry. I'm the executive pastor here at New Life. And as you know, we're in the second week of our series called Experiencing New Life. And it's part of this greater overall series that we've been doing called Experiencing God Unreserved. Now, Pastor Chris kicked us off last week as we looked at what is our first core value, we follow Jesus. But the reason that we're doing Experiencing New Life is because we want to do one of two things. One, we want us to help us to understand that as we experience new life, we will in fact have a new life through Jesus Christ. But also, we want to experience new life Christian ministries. We want to help you understand why we have certain core values and what it's like to be part of this family. So it's no surprise that our first core value is that we follow Jesus. Because following Jesus for us is the foundation. It's our primary relationship. And as we follow Jesus, as we come into a deeper relationship with him, led and guided by the Holy Spirit, it's through that that we experience this brand new life. And it's through that that we can begin to live these new lives in our everyday. So for us, that leads us to our second core value that I get to address today, which is we love each other. Now, for some of us, loving people is just so natural, right? We see folks, we want to get to know who they are, we want to understand them. My wife is like this, like she'll seek people out. Isn't this crazy? Yeah, my wife will intentionally pray when she's running errands that she'll run into people that she knows, which is insane to me. Do you know what I want to do when I'm out shopping? I don't want to see anyone. Actually, if I see you at Walmart, I may intentionally duck into the other aisle. At least that's what I want to do. Because for me, I'm the other half of the population, the other half that's like, I love you, but I don't always want to interact with you. Actually, when I'm going to Walmart right now, I'm going for probably three things. I'm going for some uh, bread, and I'm probably going for some milk, and I'm certainly going for some toilet paper. And if I see you, I love you, but I know that you're an obstacle between me and that TP, right? Anybody else there with me? I need that toilet paper. And it's not that I don't want to talk to you, it's just that I, I don't want to talk to you. And I want to get that toilet paper so I can get on to my next thing, my next point on my to-do list for the day. Now, some of you are going, how in the world did we let this guy become a pastor? That's a great question. I actually ask that oftentimes myself. Here at New Life, we're pretty big into the Myers-Briggs personality indicator. Now, if you are unfamiliar with the Myers-Briggs personality indicator, it's this survey that you take, right? And you take this survey and you answer all of these questions. And as you go through these questions, it, you get your results at the end. It helps you understand who you are. It helps us understand one another, our likes, our dislikes, our preferences, all of these things. And we've had this long-standing joke here at New Life of who our corresponding characters are from the Star Wars films uh, in regard to the Myers-Briggs indicator. And I actually want to share a couple of those with you here today. So if you don't know any of these Star Wars characters, just Google them or like we're all quarantined right now. So hop on Disney Plus and just call them up. It's fine. We've got time. But both Pastor Chris and Pastor Mark are known as ENFPs. So ENFPs are sort of these life of the party people. They gather the crowd. They're fun-loving. Who's their Star Wars character? Qui-Gon Jinn. Now, if you don't know Qui-Gon, he's really big in episode one. Go back and watch that. 
So Pastor Brad, he is an INTP. Now, who's an INTP? Well, an INTP is this person who's able to think and design at a very deep level. They're kind of able to solve complex problems. And when you hear that, you're like, boy, who's that Star Wars character? Well, it's Yoda, of course, right? I actually think that of everyone on staff, Brad and Yoda are just a great comparison because Brad is able to deep, think deeply and, and work through these issues, and he has great insight. And it just makes so much sense that he is Yoda. Now, Pastor Kristen is known as an EF, ESFJ, an ESFJ. Now, what's an, who's an ENFJ? What does that mean? Well, my wife is also an ESFJ, and they're warm, and they're kind, and they're caring, and they just love people. They kind of ooze this care for one another, right? And their Star Wars character is Jar Jar Binks, which is pretty funny. But if you think about Jar Jar at his core, it's just that he just loves people so much, and that is... Pastor Kristen, and that's also my wife. Pastor Alex, interestingly enough, is an ISFJ, and he is intuitive and he's sensitive to the needs of others, also very caring, also very kind. His character is C-3PO. Now, for me, you're thinking, well, what's this look like? Well, I am an INTJ. I'm known as the mastermind. Now, what I expect, what's one of my primary characteristics is, is I expect complete perfection from myself and everyone else. Complete perfection. Don't worry, it only gets better. My Star Wars character is Emperor Palpatine. Now, if you've never watched the Star Wars movies, you have no concept of who this guy is. But if you have, you know that Emperor Palpatine is the primary villain in the whole story. He's the guy that creates the Death Star. The Death Star is this giant, huge spaceship that shoots a laser beam and can destroy entire planets. That's me. I'm Emperor Palpatine. People to Emperor Palpatine are like little cogs in a machine that he uses to get to his ultimate goal, which is unlimited power. And as he says that, like lightning bolts shoot out of his fingers and stuff. That's my guy. Actually, in almost every modern story, my personality type is the villain. In the Avengers, I was like, maybe I get to be Iron Man or maybe I could be Captain America. Nope, I'm Loki. Now, Loki's Thor is like half-brother. I don't know, it's confusing. But all I know is he tried to take over New York City and he almost killed his dad. That's my guy. Now, if you're into some of the other stuff, like Harry Potter, I'm Draco Malfoy. Now, I never read the books, but I did watch the movies, and I know that he wasn't too well received because he betrayed the entire school. At least in the DC universe, I get to be a good guy. I get to be Batman. So as Batman, though, I got to hide in a cave and I brood a lot. That's my guy. Now you're thinking at this point, should we be worried? Should we be worried? How are we letting this guy talk about how to love other people? Well, remember, the big major push of our sermon today, quite simply, is that once Jesus is the Savior and Lord of our lives, once he becomes that Savior and Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit, he changes us from the inside out as we experience new life. And part of that new life is we will love others. It's this new life that I'd like to focus on today, and I believe it's summed up best in our take-home point which quite simply is this. Just as Jesus loved us, 
we will love one another. Let me say that again. Just as Jesus loved us, we will love one another. Now, if you have your Bible or Bible app, I'd invite, invite you to turn with me to John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. Now, throughout the sermon today, we're actually going to be looking at all of John chapter 13 in bits and pieces, but our primary text will be John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. So I invite you to turn there, and also, before we do that, could we please pray? Father God, I thank you and praise you for who you are. Father, I thank you for the word. I thank you for the scripture. I thank you for the Bible. God, I ask that as we look into your word this morning, that you would speak to our hearts, that you would transform our lives from the inside out. We thank you. We praise you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. John chapter 13, verses 34 to 35 says this. So now I am giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Now, if these verses sound familiar, it's because Pastor Chris just shared them a couple weeks ago in his message, When in Doubt. But they're so important, and we wanted to reemphasize them today. Now, we find these verses, obviously, in John chapter 13. Now, John chapter 13 is a pretty pivotal chapter in the book of John because up until this point, it's kind of been about the ministry of Jesus, right? But in John 13, Jesus actually shifts as he gets ready to go to the cross. And he actually is preparing his disciples for life without him. John 13 verse 1 says this, Before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and returned to his father. He had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth, and now he loved them to the very end. Those are some powerful words. He loved them to the very end. It should be worth our while then, right, to see how, in fact, Jesus did love his disciples to the very end. Now, each of the Gospels has a record of the Passover meal. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John all have a record of the Passover meal. But John has a couple of extra points that I'd actually like for us to look at today. The first thing that he has that none of the other Gospels have is a record of Jesus and an action that he does. He washed his disciples' feet. Yeah, Jesus actually washed his disciples' feet. Many of you perhaps have heard this before, and for some of you are like, wait a minute, he did what? Yeah, right before the Passover, right before this big meal, Jesus wraps a towel around himself and washes his disciples' feet. Now, washing of feet wouldn't have been um, an extraordinary practice. It was something that was done almost all the time. Because in those days, roads were dusty, they were dirty, and people wore sandals. So as you walked about, your feet just became filthy. The only place that I actually have an idea of what this looks like is when we travel through Southeast Asia, because everyone in Southeast Asia wears flip-flops. Even in the summer here in Western Pennsylvania, some folks wear flip-flops, but typically if you're a man in Western Pennsylvania, you got to put socks on, right? Got to be fashionable. But in Asia, everybody wears flip-flops, and you just see people walking around in flip-flops. And even if the, the roads are clean and paved, it only takes a couple of hours before your feet 
are just grimy and filthy. And to wash the feet in those days was a pretty, pretty low job. Actually, if you were a servant or a slave, this was like, you're the new guy. You're the new guy. You're the low guy on the totem pole. You get this terrible job. You get to go wash the feet. But Jesus does it. And we're thinking, why in the world would Jesus do this? So he puts that towel around his waist. He bends down. It begins to clean the filth off the feet of his disciples. As he finishes, he actually says these words. I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. Remember, Jesus would love them to the end. And in the midst of that, he says, do as I have done to you. As we track through chapter 13, Jesus would actually predict that he would be betrayed by Judas, that he would be denied by Peter. And within the next couple of hours, not only would he be betrayed by a closest friend, by a close friend, and denied by one of his dearest friends, he would be abandoned by everyone. Jesus knew that. Even as he was bending to wash their feet, think about that for a moment, he knew what was going to happen, and yet he bent and he washed their feet, and he said, do as I have done to you. Talk about a bad day. And on top of that, he was going to be crucified, right? He was going to be buried, and then he would go and offer himself as a sacrifice for the sins of all humanity. And in the midst of that, he says the words that we find in verse 34, I am giving you a new commandment, love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Now, if you're like me, you're kind of simultaneously moved by the gravity of the situation. And also, you're asking sort of an obvious question, what's the old commandment? right? But you can almost feel the tension in the room. Jesus is saying about love. He knows this stuff that the other guys don't. Uh, he's washing their feet. They're sitting down for a meal, and he's like, you need to love each other, and I'm going to give you this new commandment about how you're supposed to do it. But what's the old one? In the Gospels, we have record of Jesus actually being asked which commandment was the greatest. In Matthew chapter 22, verses 36 through 40, we find, Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. So Jesus takes the entirety of the Old Testament law and sums it up in what are actually two key relationships, right? The first, love the Lord your God with everything, all your heart, soul, mind, strength, some translations say. And we actually referenced that last week, right? Pastor Chris, when he talked about our relationship with God, following Jesus, we follow Jesus. That is the first and primary command. But the second is the relationship that we have with each other, right? Love our neighbor as ourselves. 
Now, as I was doing some research, I came across some writings by some scholars, and they said, listen, that love your neighbor as yourself, that's the old commandment that Jesus is referencing here. Now, Jesus didn't state a new commandment to contradict the old one. He never does that. Rather, he states this new commandment to fulfill the old one, and usually he makes it harder, right? We've seen that repeatedly throughout the New Testament. We actually saw it really poignantly when we went through the Sermon on the Mount last year, spring and summer of 2019. If you weren't around for the Sermon on the Mount series, my gosh, please go back and watch those. Because what Jesus would do is he would say, you've heard it said, an Old Testament command, but instead I say, and he would give this new command, and new command is always harder. So what's the new command look like? Well, I found this quote, and I think it's very helpful, uh, and I want to share it with you today. Quite simply, it says this, but to love others not because we like them or are bound to them by family, social, or national ties, nor because they happen geographically or in some other way to be our neighbors, right? So we're not loving them because of all of those things, because they're neighbors or they're friends. No. We love them, it goes on, but solely because they are fellow sinners redeemed by Christ. This is indeed obedience to a new command. We love people because they're people redeemed by Jesus. For it is not for it is new not only in the sphere of its exercise and in the mode of which, it inspi which inspires it, but also in the degree of self-sacrifice it evokes. That's a little wordy, but he cleans it up when, it's, when he says, whereas the Old Testament demanded that people should love their neighbors as themselves, the new law, the new commandment, is that they should love their brothers and sisters better than themselves and die for their friends. Wow, we can all see the transition, right? We love above ourselves for the benefit of someone else. Now that, that's love. In all the other gospels, the narrative goes right from this Passover meal to Jesus' arrest. Matthew, Mark, Luke, they all just go right from the Passover to the Garden of Gethsemane, and Jesus is arrested. But John doesn't do that. John is actually called the Apostle of Love, and you can really see that in chapter 13, and then you see it begin to weave through 14, 15, 16, and 17. All of these chapters, we don't have record of them anywhere else other than the book of John, and they are pure gold. I'm, I'm telling you right now, if you have not read John 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17, you need to read it this week, especially during this time. The promises that are in here are unbelievable. I don't have time to go through all of it, but just to summarize a couple of things, John chapter 14, John prom or Jesus promises that we will do greater works than he did. He promises that he won't leave us as orphans, but he's going to send us the Holy Spirit. In John 15, he calls us friends. In John 16, I've seen this posted a lot over the past couple of weeks. He reassures us that even though we will face troubles, that we should take heart because he has overcome the world. My gosh, do you need that today? Man, I needed it today. I've needed it for a few weeks. Actually, I've needed it for my entire Christian life. 
but just beautiful passages of Scripture. And then it culminates in John chapter 17, which is Jesus' final prayer for all of us as his believers. It's called the high priestly prayer. And Jesus just lays it out on the table. If you, have, if you do nothing else this week, read John chapter 17 every day and just see what it's going to do for your life. Jesus knew that the disciples wouldn't understand what he was talking about right now. He just knew that they wouldn't. One thing I love about Henry Blackaby is he points to the fact that we come to know God by experience. And Jesus knew that they had to experience his ultimate act of love for them to fully understand this teaching. Jesus just knew, you're going to have to experience what I'm going to do for you before you can understand this teaching. The foot washing was just the primer. Then he goes into this teaching, and it all leads to the cross. And it's there that they learn what it is to sacrifice for friends. It's a new love. It's a completely new love based on an understanding that we love the other person more than ourselves, regardless of the outcome. Frankly, if we're honest, it's a love that transcends human knowledge and understanding. It's beyond what we can even comprehend. The world had never seen anything like it. And in verse 25, or verse 35, I should say, Jesus caps it when he says, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. He says definitively that as we love one another, it will prove to the world that we are his disciples. How's that going to do? How, how is that possible? What does that look like? Well, in Luke chapter 10, Jesus tells the parable of the Good Samaritan. What does it look like to love one's neighbor greater than oneself for nothing in return? If you're not familiar with the parable of the Great Samaritan, the general story goes something like this. A man was walking on a road, encountered a bunch of robbers. They robbed him. They beat him. They left him for dead on the side of the road. He looked like he was dead. Because we know that because two high prominent Jewish officials walked by, a priest and a, and a teacher, and they went, I'm not touching that guy, and they walked on by. And then a Samaritan walked by. Now, the Samaritans were a group of people that the Jews absolutely hated. He was an enemy. But he was moved by compassion, right? And he sees this man, he picks him up, dresses his wounds, takes care of him, loads him on his donkey, takes him to an inn, pays the innkeeper and says, listen, take care of this guy. And if his bill exceeds what I've given you, I'll pay you the, I'll pay you the extra when I come back through. And Jesus said, that's a neighbor. That's love. He instructed us to do likewise. Now, if this kind of love sounds impossible, it's because it is under our own human effort. Our natural reaction is to run from these situations. Like human preservation kicks in, right? Especially if that person's an enemy. I don't care who we are. Some of us have a capacity to care for people that is just greater than most. But inevitably, all of us will hit a wall. For some of us, that wall is down the road. For some of us, it's a couple of feet. 
But eventually, we all hit walls where we go, I can't care for these people anymore. How do I love them? We love them with a supernatural power that's beyond our own. Sometimes we also care for folks, and I'm guilty of this, or we love folks because of what we can get, what they can do for us. And heaven forbid, they fall short of our expectation. But Jesus calls us to a love that's beyond outcomes, that's beyond our expectations, based solely on the fact that that person is a child of God. We love them regardless of any return on investment. Now, if I'm honest, for me, this is a hard teaching because as Emperor Palpatine, I'm in it for what people can do. Listen, in my natural state, that's how I view people. My wife actually read through the sermon and said, that sounds diabolical. I said, yeah, but that's actually how I feel in my natural state. Now, here's the great thing. We know that in light of Scripture, sometimes our feelings are wrong, right? We know in the light of Scripture, sometimes our feelings are wrong. And sometimes how I feel about people is wrong. Even though that's my natural bent, that's my natural inclination, it's wrong. Thankfully, because of the work of Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit in my life, I'm able to see that this is a flaw and respond with the Spirit's supernatural love on my best days. Sometimes on my worst days, I still slip into Emperor Palpatine, but I know that that's not the way that it should be. Because, remember, as Jesus loved us, we will love one another. And here's the great thing, as we love one another, the world will know that we are his disciples. Now, why is that a big deal, right? The world's aware that, that we're his disciples. What's the big deal? What's the point? One thing I love about Jesus is he never leaves us hanging on the how or the practical implication. He always helps us to tie it in. Now, here's the thing. It's simple, but it is not easy. We say that often here at New Life. And Jesus shows us again what that looks like. In John 17, 20 to 23, he says this, I am praying not only for these disciples, these disciples meaning the, the 12, actually soon to be the 11, but those are the disciples that he's praying for. I'm praying not only for these disciples, but also for all, all who will ever believe in me through their message. All, you, me, and everyone who's yet to come who will believe in Jesus. Jesus is praying for all. I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one, and you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us. So what, why? So that the world will believe you sent me. I have given them the glory you gave me, so they may be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. There's the connection. We love as Jesus loved through the power of the Holy Spirit. And what happens? The world is actually convinced we are who we say we are, right? We're followers of Jesus, 
and they believe his message and come into relationship with him. As we love like Jesus did, the world comes to know him. And it all starts with Jesus' sacrificial love. It all starts with Jesus' sacrificial love. But what a beautiful image. God loves the Son. The Son loves us. And we remain in Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, we experience this brand new life. And this life includes a deep, supernatural love for people. It's beyond care. It's a yearning that's there that's put into us by the Holy Spirit. As this coronavirus pandemic has unfolded, I've waited and watched to see how the church would respond. How would we as Jesus followers respond with his love? And I got to tell you guys, I've been amazed by new life, by the church at large, the way in which people have sought to engage to show the love of Jesus. Sometimes it's been going across the street maintaining appropriate social distancing. But it's going across the street to check on a neighbor, calling out, caring, any of those things. It's getting groceries. It's those sorts of things. It's also, as this epidemic has gone on, it's speaking to those who are in fear and offering that comforting word, giving them that scripture. It's consoling those who have, in fact, lost a loved one. Whether it's any of those things, those are some of the primary ways by which we begin to show the love of Jesus. And here's the great thing, guys. The church, the size, the, the size of new life, I have no idea what it will look like for us to continue to show the love of Jesus day by day and week by week. Oftentimes, folks will tell me or ask me, what's it look like to love? And I'll go, I don't know what God will call you to do. Well, how does that happen? And I'll tell you, honestly, here's how it happens for me as a recovering Palpatine. It always happens for me through praise and prayer. Whether I'm at my kitchen table or I'm going out for a jog, as I begin to praise the Lord, an idea will come to mind. As I begin to pray, a person will come to mind, an action will come to mind, something will come to mind, and God will say, you need to call that person and encourage them. You need to reach out and love them. Sometimes the request is quite easy. Sometimes it's really quite hard, but I know that as I lift his name on high, that idea, that conviction will come from him, and then he will start in me a fire to care for that person, to love them as Jesus would, not because of what I'm going to get, and not because of any other motive, but simply because they are a child of God, and he has called me to stand in that gap to love them as he loved me. That's what we get to do. And as we all continue to be led and guided by the Holy Spirit this week, I can only imagine the number of ways that God will move in our hearts and in our spirits to interact in a loving way with our brothers and sisters and to all those with whom we come into contact. And here's what I'd ask. Like, we're all online right now, but we want to know these stories. We want to know what God's doing. We want to see how his spirit is moving. So would you share them with us? Would you put it up on Facebook? Hey, here's what God did. Here's how he asked me to move. Here's how he called me to love a neighbor this week. Would you put that up on New Life's Facebook page? 
And hey, if it's private, we get that. But we'd still love to know some of those if they're private and you're willing to share them. Just email us, hello at newlifexn.org. Or send us a private message on Facebook. We want to see what God is doing. Because as his love pours forth from us, as his believers into our community, we'll be living out what is our next step for this week. And it quite simply is this. I will love someone through the Holy Spirit's power this week. I will love someone through the Holy Spirit's power this week. And when you do that, we just ask that you'd share it. Because as the church, as the body of Jesus Christ, man, that's so encouraging. In some ways, this next step follows nicely on the heels of last week's, which was to follow Jesus wherever he would lead. I have no idea where the Holy Spirit will prompt us to serve this week or where, where he'll call us to love or how he'll call us to do that. But I do know that as we serve, we will be loving one another just as Jesus loved us. Let's pray. Father God, we ask that right now, by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would move in our hearts, Father, that you would show us how we can love like Jesus. Father, I ask that you would bring people to mind, ideas, whatever it may be, that through the power of your Holy Spirit, you would speak to us so that, Father, we can go out, that we can love as you did. And so, ultimately, Father, this love isn't for us. No, it's so that the world will know that we are your disciples. And we pray there is a bountiful harvest of people that come to know you as a result of us loving like Jesus. We thank you. We praise you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.